have you've gotten to see the dramatic growth in our ability to respond to bad things. Have you have you noticed that over your career? Oh yeah, absolutely. This is the Wildland Fire Lessons Learned Center podcast. I'm Alex Victora, Assistant Center Director of the Wildland Fire Lessons Learned Center here in sunny Tucson, Arizona. On today's podcast, Travis Dotson has a wide-ranging discussion with an experienced firefighter who recently got to see things from another perspective. They talk about medical emergencies and loss of life on the fire line, inherent risk, cultural perspective, and more. Stay tuned. Okay, so it's been a little too long since we've been on the podcast. Here's the deal. I've got a really good excuse, actually several excuses, for why that's the case. Space aliens broke into the building and stole the microphone. I forgot how to run the software, especially after the government shutdown. We got in trouble for something we said in the last podcast. Big, big, big trouble. Actually, it was something Travis said. Actually, I did it. The simple truth is, we've been busy, and the podcast has fallen off the plate. Today, we're putting the podcast back on the menu and dishing up a conversation between Travis Dotson, you know him, he's the Lessons Learned Center Analyst, and a guy that some of you may not know, Andrew Addy. Now, before we get into the conversation with Travis and Andrew... You might ask yourself, why are we talking to Andrew Addy? Yeah, no, I asked that same question. Why Why are we talking to this guy? The answer to that question is pretty simple. Like many of you, Andrew Addy is a student of fire. Andrew and Travis were at a meeting together last year and had some great conversations. Based on those chats, Andrew and Travis turned on one of the podcast machines here last summer and recorded some thoughts. Now here's Travis and Andrew. Uh, I guess we should do a, an intro for for folks to know who you are and how how we ended up here. Hi, right, well, uh, my name's Andrew Addy. Um, I got into fire in 2006, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I did a couple years on the engine, then uh, the last 10 years I was on a hotshot crew, and I just currently switched over to a training officer position, though. And I guess how we kind of got on this topic of what, you know, Travis and I are going to kind of go back and forth on is essentially I, I finally got accepted into that infamous M581 course, and they're they're kind of going through and doing a, a little bit of a, I don't know if you call it a rewrite or revision of the course, but one of those things that they came up with was debate topics. And so what they do is they, they kind of took different groups and they, they assign a topic to you. And the topic that I happened to have was um, loss of life is an unavoidable cost of firefighting. And mm. with that being said, there's kind of those two different groups, the affirmative and the negative side. And so that's you know, and I had met Travis prior to at a, a leadership meeting there in Portland and kind of made contact with him there. I knew he was a great resource to reach out to. So that's that's essentially how it all came to fruition. Yeah, right on. And that so what's that? What is the actual title of M M five? Is it five eighty one? Yeah, it's five eighty one, and I think they finally decided to it's fire program management. 
fire program um, management, and it's it's a needed class to like to be in a to be certain positions, right? Like an FMO or whatever. Yeah, and so it's kind of a unique course where it's it's both required for anyone going into that line position, so any agency oh, administrator, line officer type. That's right. Yeah. As well as the FMO um, to get you know to I guess meet those standards to qualify for those positions. So. Again, like we were just talking about, it's kind of unique in that aspect that, you know, a lot of my background in fire management, or, you know, I shouldn't say fire management, but in fire in general. And so being able to have that opportunity to have that course with, um, you know, those, those line officer types is kind of intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So we'll, we'll definitely circle back to that. And, and I also want to just lay it out there how, how this stuff works. It's not like it's some big mystery. It's, 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 it's normal everyday stuff that we're already doing. Like you said, we we were at the same meeting in Portland, and I think we like ended up sitting next to each other at at the restaurant. You know, at at nighttime, it's like, oh hey, you know, uh, Sawtooth. Oh, that's right. You know, you know Krupski, and you know um, Coda, and you know what I mean. It's like it's like any other instance, right? And then it turns out, hey, you know, I, I I'm working on something that maybe you have something to, and that's that that socialization and that networking and that kind of you know, we've all experienced it, right? It's not like it's some sort of uh, um, anything different. I guess the, what I'm trying to show is that that stuff matters, right? You know, like, <laughs> and then using it matters too. Like sending sending an email going, "Hey, I'm I'm this I'm in this class," and then shit. Now I feel like you're posing some pretty awesome questions and some some pretty unique perspectives. And this day and age, we can. Yeah, we could have that conversation, but then to record it and put it out there and have some other people get to hear it, maybe potentially thousands of people. I just feel like it's cool to acknowledge that that that's possible these days. Um, yeah, and yeah. That, that's what's super cool about you know the the fire organization in general, or, or you know just the, the agency and the organization that we work in. It's just that. You know, I, I can sit across from you at a restaurant and have that comfort to, you know, give you a shout six months later, like, hey, it's Andrew. I don't know if you remember me, but, you know, I know that you're, you're Travis 2 Chain Dotson. Like, dude, can you help me out on this project? And, you know, the fact that you're able to respond back, you know, with your background and, and intimate knowledge of these particular topics is, I guess, it's super awesome to me that we're, we're getting to that point to where we can do that. Yeah, exactly. Like I think that stuff has always happened. It's just now we're able to 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 maybe elevate that and 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 include a little uh, more people in those conversations. So anyway, I wanted to get you back on this thing um, and and explain having to make that shift as part of this assignment about thinking of things not from your operational background, but having to try and put yourself in the shoes of uh, an agency administrator. So if you could rewind a little bit and just kind of walk us back through through that. Um, I, I guess what I really gleaned from this particular course, and, the, and I guess I'll, I'll kind of rewind a little bit. So how the groups are kind of structured within the course I was in um, is essentially you got, I think there was about four fire-specific folks, and then you had the two agency administrator line officer types. So with that being said, you know, through our discussions and kind of prepping for our, our debate topics or just the interactions that we would have with the different exercises or scenarios throughout the course, you know, it was super intriguing to me to kind of get their perspective on it because, uh, you know, a lot of them didn't come up through fire. 
it's kind of intriguing to kind of, I guess, get their background and kind of where they came from and um, kind of really grasp that not only are they managing a, a fire program, but they're managing your resource program, your trails program. So they, they kind of, I don't know if I should use this phrase, but they're a jack of all trades and, you know, maybe they're a master of all, but, you know, most of them are a master of none because they got, mm-hmm. you know, they got so many irons in the fire. And so I guess it kind of opened my eyes to kind of gain that perspective of, you know, when I was just that ground level firefighter, like, you know, why the hell are we doing this? What, you know, why is this decision being made? You know, I think it's up to us, especially, you know, those fire management types that, are, are kind of those intimate advisors to those line officers of doing our due diligence to make sure that, you know, we're providing them with, with adequate, you know, updated, relevant information. Yeah. Being open to it is what I really want to get, is open to somebody else's experience and that, because I feel like culturally sometimes what, we, what we're brought up in is kind of like, I always call it, you know, divisions and idiot. In my experience, anyway, was that was always kind of the default. Oh, division's an idiot, you know. <laughs> um, at least in certain resources, and that's not always the case. But it just it's kind of, and maybe it's a version of us and them or whatever. And then you extend that out. Oh, you know, overhead, overhead in general. They're just kind of they're dumb and they don't know what they're talking about. And then uh, and then you get to that agency administrator. Man, we take that what you just said. Oh, they didn't come up and fire. And then we just turn that into a, like a, you know, a reason to kind of be negative and, oh, they don't know what they're talking about and all, all these things because they don't have the belt buckle. And, and the belt buckle is the only, is the only way to be blessed as worthwhile or whatever. And so I don't know. To me, I just like to take any other approach, just like, hey, look, they're actually in a really tough spot, man. <laughs> they got to manage all these different programs. And you've got a bunch of operator types that are that are not even really giving them the chance. And uh, and anyway, I, I just I just I've been that person. And I also acknowledge that, no, man, I want people to give me the either at least a chance um, because I've been that division. I've been the division that everybody's looking at sideways and going like, oh, my gosh, you know, who's who's this, you know, kid uh, that got their task book pencil whipped, obviously. I, I mean, I felt that. So anyway, that whole perspective of like, hey, agency administrators actually have some hard stuff and we have a job. We we need to help them with their challenge. And then I think the, the other question you threw in there is this notion of loss of life. Is it a guarantee? Is it going to happen? And I can imagine from an agency administrator perspective, that's a hard pill to swallow if anybody says yes. Yep. And, and honestly, Travis, you know, I'll be the first one to say it. Well, I, I'm... I guess I'm not the first one to say it, but yeah, I mean, loss of life is going to happen. You look at the statistics that we've had over the course of the last however many years, and no matter what we do, no matter how many checklists we incorporate, no matter how many, you know, different orders we have in place, no matter, you know, whatever we do, we're human. Human factors, when you get involved in a high-risk environment, that that shit's going to happen. You know, and I, I think when you start having these conversations with, you know, some of these line types, that was a real uncomfortable thing for me to do because, again, when I got this topic, one of the first things I did was went and sat down with a, a one of my lines that was here on the forest and just posed that question right then and there. And it was kind of uncomfortable for both of us because, 
you know, they were willing to talk about it with me, but I was kind of getting this political dance around a little bit. And I think until we kind of accept and address that that shit's going to happen, we're we're not going to, you know, recognize the, I guess, the true dangers that we're in while we're out there. For sure. And I, I, I think there's, there's a lot of people that, that recognize that. And, and then I think the question that has been posed to me of late is, okay, say, say that that happened. Say we all of a sudden, all of us agreed. And we all said, you know what? Um, okay, zero, we're, we're just going to quit talking about zero. And, and say we did pick a number. Say we said, okay, let's, um, the average is 15. Let's go for, um, 10, you know, <laughs> or put some crazy number out there. I mean, that sounds super, um, uncomfortable to say, but say we all said, okay, we've acknowledged that there is, that there's going to be loss of life. Does that, does that change the way we operate at all? I mean, does, does anything on the ground change or are we just, you know, just now being more honest and still doing all the same things that we're currently doing? Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. Until we kind of get to that point, I, I'm kind of curious what would happen. I wouldn't think yeah. that it would really influence the ground level um, because I, I like to think that at least within the, the organization and the program I grew up in, it, it was addressed. We knew that the environment we were going into, you know, we didn't come out and say that, hey, you know, you might die, but we finally started doing, a, I forget what the, the sheet is, but it's kind of essentially in the case of a line of duty death, they have kind of the particulars mm-hmm. of, you know, phone number, stuff like that. And we had... You know, up until about five years ago, we weren't doing that stuff. And so that tells me that at least we started, I don't want to say accepting the fact that bad shit was going to happen, but we started, you know, taking a proactive approach in the event of a bad situation, you know, that there can be some kind of, I guess, consoling that could potentially happen by having that paper preemptively filled out. Yeah, and the way I always looked at it is just like, it's just it's just a plan because but if you're at that that time, right, like the bad thing has already happened, you don't want to add more bad things on top of that by screwing up a notification. You want you want the aftermath to go as smoothly as possible because, man, that is the last thing you want to pile more bad stuff on top of. You know, somebody's just some somebody's got to got to put their their daughter or their son or um, their fellow crew member, like in a box in the ground, like that's as bad as it gets. You don't want to make things worse on top of that. So that, that preparation is where it gets uncomfortable because it gets just a little bit more real. Yeah. Um, and it, it's kind of intriguing to me too, because it, there's a lot of like subliminal hints that what we do is dangerous. So, you know, think of like when you take your work capacity test, you sign an informed consent form, there's, there's paramedics there. And I totally get the mitigation side of that, why we're doing that. But then when we march into the firefight, we're wearing fire shelters. So there's all these, like, you know, informal subliminal messages like, hey, you guys are working in a pretty gnarly environment. We're going to go ahead and provide these, you know, means just in case. But if you start talking about the word of, like, death, and that's where it's kind of like, you know, you get that shun feeling. Yeah, there's 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 a line there, right? There's a... There's a... And, and verbalizing it seems to be in in this case currently anyway that that that's one of the lines right is is verbalizing it um yep. and 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 I think we have that about a whole bunch of things you know it's not just death on the fire line there's there's stuff around trauma and um and just struggle in general um and um addiction suicide there's all these these things where we're verbalizing it is kind of this unspoken line 
um, that that for a long time we haven't crossed. And I think there's people venturing out across it now on all kinds of different fronts. Um, and maybe that's just that's just growth, you know. Um, yeah. But this this whole this whole thing about yeah, death is part of part of our business. Man, that's a that's a tough thing to say, especially for an agency administrator if they're not if they don't have the same uh, cultural perspective that one gains from carrying your your broken brother and sister down the hill in a makeshift litter. You know what I mean? It's like no, yeah, that, that, that'll that'll change your perspective. One of the things I, I I looked up here is because we say it a lot. We we you know when this conversation conversation comes up, we say. We have to admit that there's inherent risks, and and we say that a lot. And so I looked up the definition of of, of inherent, and it's on the on the good old internet, existing in something as a permanent, essential, or characteristic attribute. And the essential really stood out to me because I think that's where some people will will kind of quibble about risk. Yeah, just hearing that definition, do you think that that the way we interact with fire right now has inherent risk? Yeah, I do. I, mean, I think just being in, you know, the environment, and it's not even necessarily the fire environment, you know, it goes back to, you know, even just driving to the fire. So we get an assignment to California and we're going down I-5, you know, we could have done our preventative maintenance checks, we could be fresh on our, you know, staying within our 10 hours of driving, you know, following all those different Redbook standards, and what's What's to say, you know, there's a distracted driver in the other lane that's going to come in, swerve in front of the buggy and take out nine of us? That's kind of the other perspective that I got when I started really digging into this is I, I think the low-hanging fruit is a lot of that entrapment stuff um, just because that's, you know, that's kind of like the the one that everyone tends to gravitate to, but the, the driving and the medical incidents that we have within the, the organization, I think, really stood out to me when I started looking at the different numbers and statistics and stuff. Yeah, uh, there was a period of time where I was I was kind of on that, that track that you're on, and I was looking at, you know, the 10 and the 18, which is what – and LCES, everybody talks about that stuff. That stuff is almost entirely focused on entrapments, and then you look at what – what we die from on a regular basis, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's medical, uh, transportation, gravity. Uh, those are the consistent uh, killers. And then those are also the ones that are that are a little bit harder to deal with in terms of inherent risk. I think part of the reason the attraction towards entrapment is also we think anyway that we have a lot more control over that. Right. That we can. Um, and it's not as inherent. I think the way that most of us have been brought up is that no, that's a that's a that's a thing that uh, with skill you can get good at avoiding. Um, whereas, like you're talking about the distracted driver, man, that's <laughs> that's not on you, <laughs> like you were explaining, right? That's just, um, and it's the same thing to me with trees and rocks. Um, didn't somebody get smashed on that San Antonio fire? Didn't the top of a tree come out and and whack somebody? Yep. Last fire I was on, man, it's, you know, we had two air medevacs that we had to fly out of there. And, you know, it, the the fire was more or less, we, you know, all the, the crews that were there kind of got a wrap and they were kind of sticking the fork in it. And it was more or less just kind of going around securing the perimeter. And, and that, you know, I'm glad to see the way it was managed. It, it was very methodical in how they were exposing those folks to that hillside and the risk that was involved. It was more or less just get in there, secure the edge. They weren't really, you know, going too deep on the mop-up. It was more or less just secure the perimeter. 
And sure enough, I, I'm under the impression it was a green tree. I never saw the, the striped tree. Sorry to interrupt here, but I want to give you a little more information on the San Antonio fire tree strike that Andrew and Travis were just talking about. At the time Travis and Andrew recorded their interview, the FLA, the Facilitated Learning Analysis, that was eventually done on the San Antonio tree strike, hadn't yet been completed. The San Antonio tree strike took place on June 19, 2018, in New Mexico. In the great FLA that was done on this event, you'll read about two firefighters who were hit by a green branch that broke out of the top of a green tree. The FLA also captures the deliberate risk process that firefighters and fire managers went through before putting crews on that piece of ground. In addition, you can read about the medical response and the times and the resources used to get the two firefighters out of what was a pretty gnarly piece of dirt. To find this great FLA, go to wildfirelessons.net, the Lessons Learned Center homepage. Once there, navigate to the Incident Review Database and search for San Antonio Fire Tree Strike. Okay, let's get back to Travis and Andrew. Of course, they were talking about the San Antonio Fire Tree Strike. Uh, but yeah, you know, just, you know, something comes down. And I mean, these are, these are the silent professionals, you know, the hot shots. It's the best crew out there and that shit still going to happen. And an informed decision about risk and exposure. Like they weren't just like, okay, let's just swarm the hillside with everybody and crush this thing. From what you're describing, it's like, okay, let's just, let's limit exposure and, but let's, let's get in there and, and do what we need to do. It was conscious, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I said, they had everything in place, you know, it, they had talked about it and they, they had been in there a time or two. So they, they kind of, you know, they knew the ground, they knew the country, they were comfortable with it. And it wasn't just a, let's run in there and cut a tree because their attack just called out of smoke. It's a quarter mile interior. You know, <laughs> it was a well thought out, methodical decision. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's just wrong place, wrong time, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's that thing, the thing about inherent and that, and and those very situations, it's like in this one, yeah, that didn't result in a in a fatality. But those very similar situations have resulted in fatalities in the past, right? I mean, uh, top of a tree coming out. I mean, we we don't have to look that far back to have to name some folks that have died in a very similar situation. And because it, and and then, but the other thing is the the ability to respond to that is a direct outcome of how much you accept that it's going to happen, right? Like, I mean, I'm guessing you have, you've gotten to see the dramatic growth in our ability to respond to bad things. Have you, have you noticed that over your career? Oh yeah, absolutely. I have definitely seen a, a more emphasis on providing, you know, training outside of, you know, just 290 or 212 or fire, or, you know, F courses and kind of adopting, you know, what what do you do when you have, you know, a medical incident and training on your low angle stuff or getting the GRS out, getting hands on stuff or, you know, getting with the National Guard to be able to go tour the hoist ship or, you know, a short haul ship, whatever it may be. That's helped out quite a bit. And actually, that same fire, that San Antonio fire, things were kind of winding down, and we had uh, one of the short haul ships there. There was a hotshot crew there, and there were, they said they were going to do some proficiency checks. And I thought it was a great opportunity to kind of get the hotshot crew involved because they're typically the ones that are dealing with them. And, you know, we were able to kind of get a short squad from the hotshot crew and still accomplish the objectives and the mission of the fire. 
And it was kind of a two-part deal where they got some solid, like, you know, hands-on training with short haul stuff, but we were still able to kind of, you know, stay mission-focused on the uh, the incident we were on. You know, and that that stuff is awesome. It, you know, we're getting better at it, and I, I think getting better at it is partly an, an outgrowth of talking about it, of crossing that line, the taboo line of verbalizing it, um, which I think for a lot of people, that willingness to go across the taboo line often comes from rage or outrage, you know what I mean? In in the case of our most recent growth in the fire service, it was, you know, Andy Palmer. It's just like there were so many people pissed after that. It was just like, come on, you know, how are we going to put some teeth to saying taking care of our own and all this stuff, and it spawned all this growth. And so there's always a, 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 I feel like there's always like this instigator, this thing where, yeah, it's been bubbling up. People have been talking about that stuff for years, but then there's always some event. And the way we, we oh, all our lessons are learned in blood, you know, that's a thing that we say a lot, um, which is kind of sad but true. But to see the growth and to see that instance, like it wasn't that long ago where people would have thought that was the dumbest thing in the world to break a squad off to go practice something with some helicopter folks versus getting them out there on the line and just getting the killing the fire, right? It wasn't that long ago. Well, I mean, think back like 10 years ago or 15 years ago for that matter. Did you did you ever do a stack that was medical-oriented? Just out of curiosity. Oh, no way. Yeah, you know, that wasn't, that, that just wasn't, uh, sand table exercises were new enough, you know what I mean? <laughs> and obviously the week of remembrance just happened, and um, that was one thing that I noticed within that write-up was essentially what, what are the crews out there doing to train for this? One of the awesome points that was made in that paper, I think it was the day six one, the leadership and medevac one, and what I found is, you know, think of, Think of when you're on a hotshot crew, right? So you got your soup that's typically out. He's kind of doing the two-day plan. you got the foreman that's kind of engaged with the crew, but oftentimes he's, you know, back and forth, whether he's scouting or, you know, chatting it up with another crew or whatever. And then something happens. And so I, I think one thing to reiterate that that paper did was that it's, it's not just the squad leaders and, you know, foremen and senior types that need to be scuffed in this. It's everyone because... You know, you could be off in a two, three-man stick or something like that, and it could be your second, third-year firefighter that all of a sudden has to become that IC of the, you know, that medical incident. That was something I was really, really glad to see that was in that write-up was that it's not just your your radio drivers that might be faced with this. It's, you know, your second, third-year folks. For sure, man, and 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 we 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 say that a lot, and that's not always the case. But when we start talking about this, I always bring up the case where um, I, I'm pretty sure it was Florida. They were doing an S212 class, right? And so the cadre has this super dialed, okay, medical plan, and this is what's going to happen if if somebody gets hurt. And they were, in terms of cadres on a class, they were actually pretty squared away, way more squared away than I ever was as an instructor. And some a student hangs up a tree, and then they're, they're working with them to try and get it out or whatever. And the instructor gets bonked, is unconscious, on the ground with a bunch of students. And the instructor's wearing the radio and has the the medical knowledge but and the plan, but they're out, man. And so it's all students, <laughs> you know. And and they didn't even they weren't even sure how to operate the radio. And so the cadre was just like. Are you kidding me? We went through all of this planning and stuff. And then, of course, that's the thing that happens. And so, you know, now they brief the students on the medical plan. 
because like you said, it might be one of the students. It might be one of the first years. It might, um, and, uh, and, and we are learning those things. And I also think, um, you know, we have a better capacity for sharing those types of stories nowadays, um, at, through conversations like this. And those are the types of things like, I think it's one thing to say, oh, it could be, it could be, it could be. And people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have the, the instance, you know, you say, oh, yeah, like this. And people, oh, okay. So that's for real. <laughs> All of that growth. I mean, it's not just from accepting the inherent risk, but, um, but I think there is, there is an element to it. And I think there's a lot of growth on the, on the op side, the, you know, the operators out there. Um, but it might be time to, to start trying to bring folks along that aren't in the ops world. Not to say that we have it figured out, because it's also possible that, that people might be saying, looking at what we do and the risks that we take and how prepared we are for it, going, well, why don't you just not take that much risk? <laughs> And yeah, it's hard for me to, to to wrap my head around that because I just I I'm so ingrained in the current the current paradigm in terms of how we interact with fire. I feel like no, we're dialed out there. You know, we we're we're already making all the the adjustments that we need to. And I think that's where maybe we could we could be open to some other perspectives in in terms of acceptable risk. I get so frustrated when, when I hear that. I feel like the insinuation is when, when people say, stop, think, talk, act, like I, I totally support that, but it almost insinuates that we haven't been doing that as of yet. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like when someone tells you to be safe. It's like insinuating <laughs> that, what, I'm not safe on a daily basis? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's another SPU. It's like, you know, and, and going back to like Merriam-Webster, for example, what's the definition of safe? Like, Free from harm or risk. Are we ever free from harm or risk? No. So it's yeah. just another we, one of those little tidbits that kind of gets at me as well. Yeah, and it, and I and I think it's all well intentioned for sure. You know what I mean? People are saying, "Hey, I care about you. I don't want you to get hurt. I don't." You know what I mean? I um, and I think that that's I I need to accept that that side of it too. Um, but it yeah, it's so uh, constantly you know, and it's hard not to get a little bit of an edge like. Um, oh, so so it's my fault if something happens, you know. That's the part that gets that gets a little um, frustrating to me. But so anyway, how how the rest of the, the that interaction in the class go? How that how things, you know, it's it's not like you guys solved the world's problems, but do you feel like you you got some benefit out of sharing uh, table table time with some agency administrators on this topic? Yeah, yeah, I did, and it. Another cool part of that course was they kind of set up a panel, you know, with uh, line officer types that are experienced and some entry-level ones and then also some FMOs. And I actually pulled uh, a couple to the side, you know, on a little break and just wanted to pull their ear a little bit on, um, you know, and I'm sure we all have faced, even if they're not a line officer, but sometimes you get the, the, the manager and not necessarily the leader side when you're dealing <laughs> with people. And so that was, like, my big question to them is how, you know, when I do, if and when I do step into that, you know, FMO role where I'm going to be advising a line officer and I'm trying to lead up, but I just keep, you know, slamming my head against a brick wall, how the hell do I, like, you know, kind of lead up and influence them to make that calculated risk-based decision? You know, I'm sure we've all been faced and dealt with, you know, different folks where, because they have that, that title power, that position power, whatever you want to call it, they feel that they have to be the decision maker, and that's not always the case. Like, you can always, 
you know, as that, that fire-centric, fire-specific person, you know, ideally they should be utilizing you to try and make a, a, an informed decision. And so it was kind of interesting to get their perspective on that and kind of how they handle it. They Essentially, it came down to patience and consistency. <laughs> yeah, and then I think, you know, in the meantime, having to, to manage exposure you know what I mean? As because uh, because something's going on while you, while you're doing this, right? While you're, you're either operating under the existing paradigm or or whatever, you you are actually having to manage the the existing exposure if it's a real time incident, and probably sometimes if it's not, because you know you might have not made a decision about how what type of response you're going to make to a certain area if there's a lightning strike. You know what I mean? And you haven't gotten to the place where you want to be yet. But if the lightning strike happens today, you still have to do whatever the existing protocol is. And so, yeah, there's that constant. Yeah, there's the patience. Um, but then there's also the yeah, and, and what are we going to do this afternoon? Uh, that's, that's, that's a constant challenge. That's, that's just like when you're on a, a fire and you're just like, man, we do not have the capacity to respond um, to a medical emergency that we should. Um, and you were faced with that dilemma of, okay, that being the case, am I going to engage? Am I going to commit resources if we don't have it ideal? Do we have it close enough? What are we gaining by, you know, exposure here? And when it's right on the line, that's, that's kind of a hard call to make, right? I mean, are you going to, what, what are you biting off? Yeah. Knowing that in, in most cases, it's probably going to be all, it's probably going to work out all right. You're, it's, it's probably not going to be the day that somebody gets hit by a rock, but you don't know yeah. for sure. Well, it's like a double-edged sword, you know, because I, I don't want to say you're getting conflicting priorities, but you're getting pressed on the, you know, whoever you're working for, like, hey, I want to keep this fire small, but I also want to keep people safe. And so, obviously, whenever you're out there, the people are the priority, but you're also getting those external pressures that kind of, you know, start inhibiting your decision-making and start really put, putting pressure on you as a leader or I see whatever function you're in. Yeah, and I think that trying to support people in the aftermath, like I don't think anybody's out there, um, in, in most cases, nobody's being negligent in, in I, I, obviously there, there, there's, there's instances, and it's certainly possible, but I think in most cases, people just have all kinds of different pressures and different experiences, different skill levels, different stories of how they came up or didn't come up or the position they were forced into, whether they're an AA or a crew boss or, you know, a driver for a fuel truck or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, they, we've all got the story of how we ended up where we're at and the, the different pressures we have, and for the most part, I think we're, we're chock full of, of of good people wanting to do the right thing. And I think that's the other thing that, that frustrates me is, is that we have a, I feel like we're recovering from it now, but we have a culture of when something bad happens, um, jumping on this notion that, well, because something bad happened, there must have been some bad decisions or bad people. That's another aspect of this that I think feeds this whole, like, that's part of what I'm afraid of. Like, I always joke every time I go out on fire um, and, you know, the times that I'm, I am I get uh, to use a UTV or an ATV and I'm just like, you know what's going to happen? Is I'm going to be out here and I'm going to wreck this thing and everybody's going to be like, oh, did you hear about the dude from the Lessons Learned Center that wrecked his ATV? <laughs> 
He's going to have to do his own write-up. Yeah, exactly. Like, didn't he write an article about that? You know what I mean? Or or even worse, you know, that's, that's the funny one. Then you start moving up, and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, um, he had an engine rollover on his division, or he got people on his task force leader got entrapped or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just I, I have that that partly because I know what the response is. The response is not, we don't respond with understanding and and curiosity. We typically respond with somebody screwed up. And I think that adds, knowing that adds to that dilemma. It's one of those pressures that we have to face when we're out there. Yeah, and I, I have this theory, if you will, I call it my mitigation blinders theory. And essentially, I think it kind of ties into what you were saying. So we have, you know, how many different checklists, whether it's a downhill line checklist or a risk management process and, you know, our 10 and 18s and all these different checklists. And while I think it's good stuff, but unless you've actually practiced it on the ground, you know, when you get to that, that upper level position, I call it the mitigation blinders because all of a sudden when something bad happens, they start looking at those things, not understanding that, you know, regardless of what you had checked in those boxes, maybe you were good, but 30 seconds later something changed and it, it's not. And so, you know, oftentimes I, I see that happening of just kind of, like you said, the open-mindedness, to get closed-minded when they just, you know, simply look at they didn't abide by the 10 and 18s or what have you. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I think it's, it's a, I mean, it's understandable. It's a, it's a human condition. Part of it is because I want to, I want to tell myself that, that, you know, that's not going to happen to me, but it is supported by the culture. And that's where I, you know, try and try and say, Hey, we can take care of our own partly by just being curious rather than accusatory in those, in, in, in the aftermath of those bad things. And I think we are growing just like, just like our uh, capacity to respond to medical incidents. We're growing, we're getting better. We're not perfect. We never will be. Um, but I also think that we're, we're growing on multiple fronts, um, with, with that response too. And I like that. I like that, that mit- what did you call it? Mitigation blindness? Yep. Either under the impression that you can mitigate things, right? <laughs> Or, or when you look back in hindsight, you say they should have mitigated. You know what I mean? They didn't. They didn't go back to their list recently enough. Because, like you said, man, you could go through all your list and you everything's checked off, and you go, okay, start moving dirt. And the minute you start moving dirt, you know, I mean, the the situation could have changed, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. I remember. I remember briefing one time. It was. It was awesome. Like I'm a seasonal on the hotshot crew, and they're briefing, and and the 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 captain is literally like pointing to the hill, and he's like, "Okay, what we're gonna do? We're gonna anchor in right there. We're gonna take it right up that hill." And he's like pointing to it, and fire just rolls right across it. <laughs> he just moves. He moves where he's pointing. He's just like, "Okay, so now we're gonna go down the road, and we're gonna go." You know what I mean? It's like. That's how quickly stuff changes. As you were in the act of briefing, <laughs> you got any other uh, other pieces you want to throw in there, uh, either from that class or any of these other things that we talked about, or stuff we haven't talked about? I guess there's there's two things, so they're kind of positive things and like things that I think I'm seeing, you know, within the agency that is super cool. So one being the purple ribbon campaign. So it's awesome to see that we're 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 addressing it, we're putting it on paper, people are starting to talk about it, it's circulating throughout the organization. 
and that's super cool to me. You know, not only as the firefighter, but also for our family's sakes, um, just so they understand, you know, kind of what we're doing out there and, and what the risks truly are. I think that's an awesome step forward. With that being said, so something else that I saw that was super awesome. So last year I, I helped the, the training cadre. We went down when we activated the military. And so I, I flew down to Fort JBLM, and, you know, we taught three or 400 soldiers, something like that. And the coolest part of this, man, is the day before their deployment, uh, the major got the families together, the soldiers together, and they met in this massive common area, had up the PowerPoint of where they were going, some of the associated risks. They had chaplains there. They had financial advisors, you know, all these different people just for a 30-day assignment. And wow. I remember looking at, you know, Heath was with me, and I remember looking at him and just thinking to myself, like, dude, like, this is how it should be, which, you know, I, I, I totally get it's different. You know, it's, you're not going to do that on a little two-day IA or something like that, but, you know, having something like that preseason, I think Purple Ribbon is kind of a, a step towards that. So it it really hit home to me when I saw that paper come out, and it was, it was super Super exciting. Nice. Yeah, no, that's a great way to, to kind of wind this down is like, is just evidence of that, of, of moving forward, uh, progress and, and, um, and there are, there, there's people in positions of influence that, that, um, have experienced all of these things and, and we are making progress. And, you know, part of it is by, by folks like yourself, uh, being out there, paying attention, and then sharing their perspective and, and taking the time to have those conversations. So, yeah, that's a great way to wrap this up. And all the opinions and views are expressed solely of this author, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Well, what'd you think of that? Travis and Andrew sure covered a lot of ground in that discussion. Thanks again to both Travis and Andrew for their wide-ranging conversation. Before we go, here's a bit more context for a few things Travis and Andrew just talked about. Travis mentioned an event where a chainsaw instructor was injured during chainsaw training. That's a report from 2012 from our friends at the Florida Forest Service that's called, fittingly, the Chainsaw Training Tree Injury. To get that report, go to wildfirelessons.net. Find the incident review database in the gray menu or in the hamburger menu and do a quick search. Search for the word chainsaw in the state of Florida, and that's probably the quickest way to find it. As I say, it's a great report. I just looked it up again. Check it out. Andrew mentioned an element from the 2018 Week of Remembrance. Everything associated with each Week of Remembrance can be found with a quick Google search for Six Minutes for Safety Week of Remembrance. Andrew specifically mentioned something that's part of Day 6 of the 2018 Week of Remembrance. Andrew also mentioned the Purple Ribbon Campaign. This is a great tool put together by a great group of folks recently, here in the last couple years. To find it, do a quick internet search for Purple Ribbon Campaign, a guide for firefighters and their families. Music this week from Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out on the Information Superhighway, the World Wide Web, the internet, at sessions.blue. And finally, thanks a ton for your time.